How's everybody doing? Good? You got to be in a good mood. CU football is back and it's good and so good. Broncos are awesome and it's just good. It's just, just good. You know, I, just, I, I figured out why I like it that we play our music so loud because you can sing like you sing in the car and nobody can hear you here, you know. It's just, you just sound as good as them and it's like, I'm really good, you know. And you're not, but, uh, but tell yourself that, all right. Hey, uh, I have a couple of announcements and then we'll, we'll jump into this, uh, the, the sixth part of this value series we're in. Uh, last week, you all responded fantastic uh, for gifted service. Our kids' ministry is now fully staffed and functioning. Guest services, all of you guys really, really stepped up for that. So student ministries, that we, we're doing good. So we, I got to tell you this though, all right? So there's a but, all right? Uh, uh, but we need some more people in our parking lots. Apparently I made a joke and you, you, you all don't know how to take a joke. Nobody's died in our parking lots. It was a joke, all right? Some people should, but they haven't. And... Uh, so we need some more help in our parking lots, both here and at the West Campus. And so when the service is over, go out to the Information Center. You can do that as a family if your kids are like middle school and older or, or, or your Bible study could like take a parking lot, uh, you know, once a month or something like that. So, so go check that out uh, in the lobby on your way out. I'm really excited. Uh, we've been planning something for about a year now. It's going to happen in November. We're going to host our very first marriage conference called From This Day Forward. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've been doing these men's retreats and women's retreats and thousands of people go out to the, to the mountains and... That's just, that doesn't work for a lot of, a lot of people to, to, to be gone, leave your kids and all that kind of stuff. So we are going to do a marriage conference, uh, three nights right here at Flatirons, and it will be at the Lafayette campus, and it will be streamed up to the West campus. So if, you, if you're in the Paramount campus, then you can check out one, one of those um, main sessions. I'll, I'll be leading main sessions. Scott will be leading main sessions. There'll be all, all kinds of good stuff uh, going on there. It's, it's limited registration. It opens online today at three o'clock so that all of our services, Saturday and Sunday, have an equal time, like, like ready, set, go, and and then it sells out just like that. Uh, so you want to get, a, get, in, get in on that. Uh, let me tell you, there's a cost involved in it. Let me explain this. It's $50 a person or $100 a couple. You say, well, it's a marriage conference. Isn't it all couples? Oh, no, it's not. A lot, a lot of people are. So I would say at least half of Flatirons isn't married either yet or anymore, right? Right? You know, well, that's, I'm both. All right. So anyway, and, and some of you, some of you are going, but I want to be someday. I, I'm 13. It's not really reasonable, but someday, you know, I want, or I'm dating her and she thinks we should get married and I don't know. So go, let's go, go to this marriage conference and figure it out. So it's, if your marriage is doing great, if your marriage is, is rough, if you're single and you want to be married, or if you're, you know, you're no longer married then, and you say, well, I, I, I don't ever want to be married again, then come serve coffee. All right. And so, uh, and we, we can use you there. So you can get online and you can check that out at three o'clock, uh, uh, th this afternoon, all right, so right after the game starts, all right, so, all right, so, so let, let's jump into this, we'll pray, and then we'll look at this, uh, this, this sixth value, let, let's pray. So God, um, I, I'm one of those uh, people that actually believes you run the universe, I, I believe that you have handpicked and selected and drawn people to one of these three campuses today to sit in a chair and hear that you love them, and I don't know why people came here, I, I, I have a feeling but I pray that since they came that you'll be really, really clear and you'll speak to us about your son Jesus and how good he is. Connect that with our life so when we walk out of here in a few minutes, our life actually has a shot at getting better. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we've, we've been in a value series for the last six weeks. We're going to do it in a couple more weeks. And we've been using the 23rd Psalm as an outline where we find all seven of our values. Whenever I say values, I mean like the big rocks or the hills we'll die on before we let go of them. If, you, if you're from another church and, you, and you've been coming to Flatirons, these values drive everything we do and don't do here at, at this place that we call Flatirons. And, and it's really, really easy over time to get off course. And so at least once a year, we, we, we come back and we, we go through these values once again. And 
And so today and next weekend, we're going to wrap up this series uh, with, with the sixth verse uh, of the 23rd Psalm, all right? And we're going to split it into two weeks. But, but before we do that, we're going to do what we've been doing this whole month as we've been going through the 23rd Psalm. We're trying to memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. You have six verses. That's our goal. And I'll be honest with you, um, you're not very good at it. But, you know, there's grace. It's all right. All right, so, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to read it out loud together, and then you're on. And God's listening, all right? So, so we're all together, the first five verses of Psalm 23. One, two, three, go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And again, the reason we're memorizing this is not to, like to get brownie points with God or to pat ourselves on our religious backs or something like that. Jesus made us a promise that if we will hide his word in our hearts, his spirit at just the right time has the ability to bring these verses and these, these, these truths back to us just when we need them. Now, you might not need these verses like today or this week or this month, but a day is coming and you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of something and the Holy Spirit's going to bring back these verses and remind you, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'll take care of you, okay? So that's why we're trying to do this. So from memory, and I'll, I'll help you a little bit, all right? But I know you've been studying all week, right? Right, right? Hey, by the way, did anybody watch Doomsday Preppers this week? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Okay, when your lights go out, you're going to go, I should have listened to him, all right? But it's too late. It's too late for you, all right? So, so here we go. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord, he makes me, he leads me, he restores, good. He leads me in, even though, for you, You prepare. <laughs> My cup overflows and it's not water. All right. No, that's actually, well, that was better. That was better. It wasn't as good as last night, but it was better, okay? So, um, so one more verse, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up ne ne next week. All right, so like I said earlier, our, our, our first two values, we studied in the beginning of this series that, that God's Word, the Bible, is the authority for our life. And Jesus, the second value, is, is the only one who can, can take away our guilt and condemnation and reconnect us back to God. That's the foundation of everything. All right? Those are the, the two big rocks that everything else kind of leans against. But once those two are in place, the other five values that, that we have that drive everything we do are focused on us growing in our relationship with God and growing in our relationship with one another. And, and this is what we're going to look at today, they, they're, they're helping us help other people find out who Jesus is and what he's really all about so they can make up their own minds about him. And again, I don't know what your last church was like or if you even had a, a last church. But let me just remind you of this. It is not our job to save anybody, fix anybody, convert anybody, or try to change anybody. We're not even told to do that in the Bible. We're just told to, to say what Jesus said and do what Jesus did and teach what Jesus taught and leave the changing of a person's heart to Jesus since he's the only one who knows how to do that anyway. 
So last week we looked at this, this idea called gifted service, which was this, each one of us leveraging whatever we have out of the overflow of what God has done in our life, taking our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our time, and our money, and here's the, the metaphor we use, to set the table for anyone who is spiritually hungry and looking for something so they can taste how good Jesus is and decide for themselves if they want him in their life. And all of our efforts to do that well make this next value that we're going to talk about today a possibility. We call it excellent environments. Our, our sixth value is excellent environments. What's that mean? We are trying to create the best possible environments and opportunities, and this is how we say it at Flatirons, for people to bump into Jesus and eliminate any obstacles that might stand in the way of a person having that opportunity. Last week we looked at this. We leverage whatever we have or can do so that people can get in here. So we, we make sure the parking lot isn't a boundary or frustration for somebody to get in here and hear what they've heard all their life, that God hates them. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And he'll walk through the valley of anything with you. And we promise we'll take good care of your children so that a family isn't turned away because the room is full and we don't have enough leaders. We'll fix that problem. We'll clean the building from top to bottom every week. We'll rehearse the songs. I'm so proud that this week, the, the songs that we've already sung at all three campuses, we didn't buy those songs. Our worship department, our volunteers wrote all the songs that you sang today. I, I, I love I'm so proud proud of those guys, all right? We, we do our best. Let me, let me just kind of sum this up. We do our best to create an environment that says what we're doing here right now matters. It's important because we believe that the stakes are really, really, really high. And we actually believe that Jesus can change a person's life for the, batter, for the better, no matter who they are or what they've done or what has been done to them. We'll go, I'll quote that lady, we'll go all in, all right? I cleaned it up a little bit, all right? So let, let, let's look at verse 6 and see how Excellent Environments ties in to Psalm 23. There's free Bibles in the back if you want to grab a Bible. Otherwise, it'll be right here on the screen. Psalm 23, verse 6 says this. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so we're, we're going to look at the first part of that verse this week and then the second half next week. So, so let's just read the first part. Go, surely, let's just do this together. One, two, three. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So last week, we, we, we see surely goodness. And then last week, we, we looked at a different verse that David uses a metaphor of setting a, a table, again, not with physical food, but with spiritual food. And that word good comes up again. Remember this? Come and taste and see that the Lord is it's good. So goodness is following me and the Lord is good. So let's, let's look at that word good or, or goodness, all right? It's a Hebrew word that David, the author, uses. And that word goodness out of the Hebrew could be translated into English several different ways. It could be translated well-pleasing or, or fruitful. So if it's good, it has results. You can see the results of what's good. It's appealing. I like it. I love this word. It's useful. It's helpful. It actually helps, all right? And it's the opposite of evil, and again, around here, we say it like this. It's like if you have two deals on the table or, or two extremes or, or two ends of the spectrum, different ways that a person can live, live their lives. You have good and you have evil. And good works. Good has good results. It, it actually leads to a life that actually works and, and, and bears fruit in the reality of the world that God's created. And evil promises that and you run after that, but you get down that path and you go, it doesn't work. It just, it's not, it's not good. It's it's evil, and it's, it, it doesn't work, not because you're a bad person or that you didn't try hard enough. It just doesn't work in the reality of the, of the world that God created. And so, so when David writes, come and taste and see that the Lord is good, what he's, what he's saying is this, come close to Jesus. Come and sit at the table and taste and see that Jesus and the life that he has created and that he has described, it's good. It's good. It'll bear great fruit in your life. It's better than anything you could cook up on your own without the Lord. 
What he means by that, by that is a life that works in the reality, a marriage that works really in reality, parenting, all the important parts of your life. In God's world, it will really, really work. Your life can be described with words that Jesus used like you could, you could have a, an abundant life. You could have a life that's full. You could have a life of peace. And so in the 23rd Psalm, when David says, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life, that combined with what we've already studied, the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me and he protects me and he disciplines me and he's, he's in me and he surrounds me with people that are willing to walk this, this path with me. Now David says this, as I'm walking this path with the Lord and with the people around me walking towards Jesus, I turn around and it's like goodness is following me. Which is better than my life before Jesus because I looked behind me and it was just a path of destruction and disappointment and, and, and regret. I was looking for goodness, and when I started following the Lord, goodness found me and started following me. Now, time out. I'm going to have a couple timeouts today. Let's be honest, all right? Why would a person in today's world ever want to go to church? I mean, just think about this. There's nothing in our culture, nothing on TV later today, nothing in the movies going, you know, church would be a good idea. There's nothing in our world saying church would be a good idea. Why would anybody ever say, I want to go to church, let alone come back again and again and again and maybe take a step towards what Jesus says is a better way? Why would anybody do that? And the only answer I can come, find, I can come up with is they're looking for something good. Right? They're looking for something good, something that has the potential to make their life and the most important parts and relationships in their life better. Otherwise, why come? They tried this, they tried this, they tried this. I don't know, let's try church. Maybe, maybe it's good. Think, think about your own story. Think about the first time that you ever walked in here. All right, now, now I was going to say any church, but let's just, let's just be, go to Flatirons, okay? Think about the first time you walked into Flatirons. It was big. Crowded, intimidating. This church is bigger than the town I grew up in, all right? My church had like 30 people, 50 on Easter, all right? But you know what? But I, I'm telling you, it, it was overwhelming, but you, you made it. You fought through the parking lot. You fought through the lobby. You fought through that person who wouldn't give you their seat, right? You fought through everything because you were looking for something good that you hoped would connect with your life. And if it didn't, you weren't coming back. I don't blame you. Right? You, you wouldn't come back if it didn't connect with your life. Even if the parking lot was the smoothest parking lot you've ever experienced, and your kids, you, you picked them up later, and they, said, they were happy, and, oh, please, Mom and Dad, can we come back? And, and the bagels were awesome, and the songs were pretty. Listen, as busy and as hectic as your life is, you would not come back if you weren't convinced that what was going on here was good. And that if it connected with your life, your life had a chance. It was actually possible for someone like you and the most important parts of your life to get good good or something, all right, to work better because you you're just like me. You don't have time to waste to be a part of something that doesn't help. Your, your, your week is too busy. You don't have extra minutes. If this doesn't work, I'm going to go find something else. So the reason you come back is because it, you hope it's good, all right? And if any of those other things before you got here didn't work, bad parking, rude people in the, in the lobby, closed kids' rooms, poorly presented music made up of lyrics that you don't understand what they mean, you, you probably would have shut down before you even heard what Jesus was like. And if you're like me, you would have done math in your head and you would have assumed if everything they do before I even hear about God is this bad, they must not value God very much or me. 
If this is, if this is their best shot? Because, again, church is like every other thing that you go to. I, I wouldn't go and I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't return to a restaurant with poor service and bad food. I would try it once and then I, uh, check please, and I'd be out of here. And you know what else I would do? I would text my friends, don't go there. I, I threw up. Don't, don't go there, right? I, I do the same thing with church. Don't go to that one, all right? I, I wouldn't put up with a bad service where I take my truck in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my kid in a school where he or she wasn't being taught well. And I would not go to a church as somebody stand up here on stage and claims about, to talk about the most important truth that can change your life, but I have no idea what he's talking about. And what he is talking about is irrelevant to my life. And the way they do it screams, we're not very good at what we do. And you're not important enough for us to do it any better. Listen, if I get a message from a church, and I've been to a church all my life, but if I sit where you sit and, 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 and the message from the church goes like this, take it or leave it, I'll, tell you, I'll leave it. I, I will. I, I'll, I'll gather my things and walk out. No, no thanks. I mean, you might come for a while, right? If, if your parents force you to come, you know, I'll, I'll let you go on a date if you'll go to church, right? right? Or, or someone piles on enough guilt or shame, but that only lasts so long, and eventually you'll find a reason to miss. Oh, this thing came up, you know, and I got to miss this week, but we'll be back next week. All the leaves are changing. We've got to go to the mountains or whatever. You know, or or you know, my kids have football or baseball or soccer or softball or whatever that is, or, or work's going through. But we'll be back We'll be, well, you won't. You know why? Because it's not worth it. Because if it was worth it, you would move heaven and earth if it's really good. To, 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 because it connects with your life, all right? But, it, but you won't come back if it's not good, if it doesn't help. Or it's irrelevant to your life. Or you don't understand why what that person up there is saying, or Jesus is suggesting, could be better than what you already have. I, I speak for Scott on this. We have had this conversation thousands of times in the last 10 years. Some of you have, have had it with us, all right? And just when I get into this, watch all these heads around the room are start going like this, all right? So people will come up to me in the lobby and, and they'll say, hey, we're kind of new to Flatirons. And, and I always ask the same questions. How did you get here and how long have you been coming, right? And, and the, all, I get the same story every time, almost every time. It goes like this. Well, I used to go to church. I grew up Catholic. I grew up Lutheran. I grew up this. I grew up that. I grew up whatever. And then, I don't know, life happened, I, I turned 16, I got a license, I'm out, all right? I got a job, I got a girlfriend, I graduated high school, I went off to college, I went through a rebellious, independent phase of my life. Everything was going great for a while, and then I hit a wall. Life changed, for good or, or better, right? or, or, or worse, all right? I mean, I got married, and it started well, and then it got hard. I, I became a parent, my marriage got really, really, really sick. I, I'm facing divorce, I got divorced, I lost my job, somebody in my life got sick, I got sick, I, I got busted, she got addicted, somebody died, I got, I got hit with the valley of the shadow of death, and, and, and I was at the end of my rope, and I remember hearing, or remember when I was a kid, somebody told me that God loved me, and that God would never leave me, even though it felt like I was all by myself and I was desperate. So I reached out. I thought, I got to give God another chance. But I did not want to go back to my old church. I'm not going back there. And so I ended up at Flatirons. And that's how you ended up here. And the number one feedback we get at Flatirons is this. You all teach the word of God, but for the first time, I actually understand it. I've heard these Bible stories all my life. They finally make sense. It, it helps. You keep it real. It gives me hope that what Jesus says is possible for, for people could actually be possible for someone like me. And that's why I come back. Please, please understand, I'm not at all comparing Scott or I to Jesus, except for this. We're trying to teach what he taught and do it in the same connecting style and the way that he taught it. Jesus was the best teacher ever. After Jesus' first public sermon or speech or talk or message, all right, Matthew 7 says that, that when, he, when, he, when he wrapped it all up and like dismissed people out of the field or whatever that is, he says the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. Like the guy knows what he's talking about. 
and not as their own teachers of the law. Because this is what they'd grown up with. Somebody stands in front of everybody and goes, these are the rules, and if you break them, you go to hell. Shape up. Jesus was different. He actually connected stuff. He connected timeless, eternal, spiritual truths that had been around for thousands of years. He connected that with stuff that people dealt with every day, and the people went, well, now I get it. Like, like when he was talking to shepherds, right? He would use sheep illustrations, not big spiritual illustrations. The Lord is my shepherd. And all the shepherds go, well, why didn't the last guy say it like that? Now I understand it. All right, right? he was talking to, to farmers. He would say, he actually said this one time. He says, so picture the word of God kind of like seeds, all right? And, 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 and the ground, uh, the dirt, the field, it's like your heart. And the seeds get sprinkled on there. And some of them go in, they grow, and they just change your life. And some of them, they, they just lay on the surface and never get in because the ground's hard. And all the, all the farmers were like, well, that makes sense. And then Jesus was like, same with God. He was talking to fishermen. Like Peter, one of the very first followers of Jesus, he, he said, Peter, listen, you're a fisherman. You're not a very good one. Every story, he, he hasn't caught anything, all right? So you're a bad fisherman. But listen, Peter, all right, follow me, and I'm going to change your whole life, and you'll become a fisher of, of men. People will follow Jesus because of, of you. When he's talking to parents, one of the most famous stories he ever told, and I know he had parents in the crowd. He said, suppose that your son ran away from home. He didn't do anything wrong. He just says, Dad, I'm out. And he took, he took his money and he went off and he screwed up his life. It got so bad, he found his life in a pig pen. And then he came to his senses and he wondered, I wonder if my dad would take him home. And you got to think all the parents in that crowd were going, I would. I'm waiting for my son to come home right now. And then when that son runs up and the father runs down the road, he says, it's just that way with God. And all the parents went, well, I get it. And the result was people were amazed that ancient truth from thousands of years ago could still be true for them today. That's how Jesus taught. Later, a guy named Paul he actually spent the first half of his adult life, his religious career, trying to wipe Christianity and Christians off the map. He had them killed, executed, imprisoned, right? Then he became one. That's a great story. He became a Christian. That changed his life. And he used the education that he had received at the best schools and universities in the entire world. He was a Roman citizen. And he referred to, to government. And he, and he used the teaching of local philosophers and musicians and artists. He even used other religions that he was familiar with. He used all those things to point people towards Jesus. Your own philosophers say this. Your own politicians say this. There's a statue to an unknown God over there. Can I tell you what that statue's all about? He was not saying that all the politicians were right. God knows they're not, all right? He was not saying that philosopher, it doesn't matter what philosophy you go with, it's, it's all good. He wasn't saying all the musicians and the artists were right. He was saying they're asking good questions. Questions that we all have. They're bringing up problems about society and, and the, the, the answer to those problems can only be found in, in Jesus, your own philosophers, your own government is asking good questions. Jesus is the answer. Listen to this. Paul is writing to two groups of Christians. I love this, all right? And, they're, and they're philosophically, they're on both ends of the spectrum, all right? And I would say in a room like this at three campuses, we have both of these groups in this room right now. There is a, he's talking to one group of Christians who say, says this, all right? I can do anything I want. I'm saved by grace. You're not the boss of me, na 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 right? Don't judge me, right? So you have those people going, I, I'm going to heaven. I can do anything I want, all right? Then you have another group of Christians who've decided we're everybody's religious police, right? You know people like this? Don't point. She's right there, all right? Um, they walk around going, you shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't drink that. You're going to wear that. You're going you're gonna to listen to music like that. You shouldn't do that. Why? Because you're a Christian, oh. Well, thank you, Holy Spirit. Right now, here's, here's what Paul writes to, bo- to both. We'll, we'll need to edit that out. That's offensive. All right, so um, I don't care. Here's what Paul writes to these people. You chose to be here, all right? I, I'm the same. All right, so he says this. Look, all things are what? 
lawful. Now look, it's in quotation marks. That means he's not quoting from the Bible. He's dipping into local philosophy. So you all go to school, you go to the, you know, the, the, the wherever, and you have these debates, you go to the movies or whatever you go to, and that is the common theme of our whole culture. All things are lawful, all right? So there's a philosophy, but not all things are what? All right? All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So what he's saying is this, even though you can do something, legally you can do it, you're 18, technically there's nothing wrong with it. There's, there's, there's no Bible verse against it. It's legal in Colorado. Whatever that is, okay, the, the big... <laughs> Come on, say, are you with me? Come on, all right, right. The bigger question is not is it right or wrong. The question is what's at stake and does it help and can it be leveraged to build something or someone up? And if it does, use it a lot. And if it doesn't, even though there's not a law or a rule against it, then do something else. Well, it's not a sin, okay, but is there something better, maybe it would work better to help other people and build them up, then do that. So it's not about rules and regulations. What am I allowed to do? Here's the rule, if you want to call it that, that, that drives everything we do as a church, but also as a follower of Jesus. How about this? Let no one seek his own good. You're not the boss of me. I can do whatever I want. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, this is a fundamental mindset difference or mindset change between a person's understanding of what you think church is. So if you're new around here or you come to church and you have a backpack full of definitions and opinions about what you think church ought to be, please listen very, very closely. There's one group of Christians, got categories all over the place, that believe this is my church. Some of you are sitting here going, this is my church, it's mine. I'm a member and as long as they do what I want and they keep me happy, as long as my church is focused on me, and usually they're not talking about what Scott or I are teaching about, but they're talking, about the con- uh, they're talking about the style or the methodology of how it's delivered. If I like it, if I like the music, if I like the volume, if it's my personal taste, if it's what I define as, that's, that's good for me, I'm happy. And, and if not, they better change it for me or I won't be back and I'll take my money with me. You know who you are, right? Every week we have to prove ourselves to you. Otherwise, you're, I'll, I'll go find somebody that will cater to me. Then there's a group of Christians who, who realize that, you know, once I'm saved, once I lean my life against Jesus and he lives inside of me, my primary role here at this church or any church changes from that point on. I, as a follower of Jesus, I am no longer the primary client that has to be kept happy every week. But now when I say Flatirons is my church, this is what I mean. I enlisted. I signed up. I partnered up. I'm part of a movement prepared to leverage everything short of sin so the people that I care about, or more importantly, that Jesus loves and care about, have a chance to bump into Jesus and get close to him and have their own conversation with him so that eventually maybe their souls and their lives can be restored through grace and mercy and their lives can be described with words like, surely goodness is finally following me too. It's about time. So let's, that's just, we're not even done there. Let's look at Psalm 23, verse 6 again. There's more. Surely goodness and what's the next word? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I came looking for something good. And again, that's why you're here. That's why your friend, if they ever show up here, they are looking for something good. But I'm going to be honest, no matter what we come looking for, what we're expecting is very different. Right? I came looking for something good, but honestly, probably when I walk in the doors of that place, what I'll guilt is get is guilt, shame, and a lecture that goes like, you should have known better. You, how could you have been so stupid or so weak or so selfish? You've really disappointed God. I, I don't need that. G- Jesus said it this way in that, in that Sermon on the Mount. He, and he's talking to parents. He said, hey, suppose that your, your son or daughter, all right, whatever, all right, came to you and said, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have some bread? Which of you would give him a stone? Or if you were to ask for a fish, you'd give him a snake. 
right? I, I think, and I've been to church all my life, I think churches do that, that to people every weekend, all the time. People come looking for something. Some of us are in this room. We're looking for something. And it's a last-ditch effort. We can barely breathe. I'm spiritually and relationally and emotionally starving. I, I am desperate. And I heard that this, this is the kind of place that's kind of like a table where I might get a taste of something good. And I came looking for bread. And when I walked in the door, somebody smashed me with a rock of condemnation and guilt. That's why I left my last church. And it's why I won't go back to another one. That's why they say no every time you ask. I wouldn't either. I am not setting myself up to get hit again. But you remember what mercy means? Great word. It means not getting what I know that I deserve. None of us came to church today to be reminded. Did you forget you're a failure? Let me remind you. You've let people down in your life. Your marriage isn't really that great. You're not that great of a dad. Did anybody get out of bed this morning going, I'm going to go to church and be reminded of all my failures? No. I wake up with those every single day. What I'm looking for is mercy. I feel pinned to the mat, and I'm not sure I can take another breath. And then just in time, I get mercy. The pressure lifts. I get a breath. I'm given grace and strength to either get back up or get out of the situation or keep on going. I started listening and hearing and eventually following Jesus. And just like goodness seemed to be more present in my life, finally so did mercy, and I can breathe again. That's what we're trying to do here. So later when Paul writes to Christians about, so you're asking what is or isn't allowed in church, what he's saying is this, whether it is talking about Jesus directly or not, unless it's illegal or promoting sin, use everything if it has the potential to connect people who are looking for something good, Jesus. And the rest of this, I, I think it's funny. You, you, I'm, I'm gonna, this next part of this talk, all right, you're going to sit there and go, and, I, I don't understand what this has to do with me. If you'll just hang into the last five minutes, you'll go, oh, all right, all right, so, so you want to go get a coffee or something like that but I think this is hilarious so that letter that Paul's writing these people live in a town called Corinth all right and it's like the spiritual epicenter of the world at at this time there's every religion possible there all right so you have a Jewish synagogue here you'll have a little Christian church here you'll have a cult here you'll have a temple here and they're all all right up and down the street they're all sacrificing animals except for the Christians because Jesus is our sacrifice all right but they're all sacrificing animals the Jews are taking the, the sheep in there going I sinned again kill another sheep and the blood's flowing all right and all the other ones are doing the same thing Here's the thing, some of these religions, all right, after they're done killing a goat or a cow or something like that, right, they, they're taking that meat and selling it in a grocery store and making money off the sacrifice, all right? Now, so you might have an opinion on that. The Christians were up in arms because they found out that some people, some other Christians in their, their church were, were buying meat in a non-Christian grocery store. I know, I know, right? Meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And they were like, the church was splitting. They were fighting. I'm not going to go to church if you're going to eat meat that was sacrificed to a mountain. All right, right now. And and some of the Christians were going, and I would be in this camp. I I would look back and go, it's just meat. It's good, too. It's, 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 It's not the cow's fault. He didn't vote on, please don't sacrifice me to the mountain. All right, no, he just moved. He's done. All right, all right, if... And here's the other thing, if you sacrifice a chicken to a tree, it's just a tree. It's still chicken, and it's on sale, and it will feed my family, all right? So what's the difference, right? Who cares? Well, a lot of Christians cared. How can you call yourself a Christian and shop at that store or eat a hamburger that was butchered by a person who believes in a different God and call yourself a follower of Jesus? I'm very disappointed, right? right? And Paul, Paul, Paul I love Paul because he just, he just, you know, he gets fed up and he just says it, all right? So here's what he says. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Just shut up and eat, and eat it, right? For why? For the earth and the cow and the sheep and the chicken is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's just meat. Now, if, if one of the, I love this. So if, if one of the unbelievers 
invites you to dinner. And so an, an unbeliever there would be a son who doesn't believe in Jesus. And some of the Christians are going, whoa, whoa, are we allowed to eat with non-Christians? <laughs> yes. I, oh, they're much more fun a lot of times, all right? I'm just, I'm just telling you, all right? But let's say one of the unbelievers invites you over out to dinner at their house and, and you want to go, all right? Ready, Christians? Please take notes on this, all right? Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of, of conscience. And you know who you are. You go out to dinner with somebody and, and they order wine or they order this or whatever and you'll look across the table and you'll go, uh, no, I'm a Christian. I, I used to eat that, but now I love Jesus. But go ahead, all right? And it's so condescending. Listen, stop it. All right? So just start, now, when I say wine, all right, I'm not talking about if it's an addiction level or something like that we're dealing with. That's different. But if you're just this arrogant, you know, religious snob, you're not helping. I used to eat stuff like you or dress like you or do whatever, right? But now I love Jesus. And someday maybe you'll love Jesus and you won't look like that. All right? Stop it. Right? Anybody been to that dinner party, by the way? Right, it's, it's horrible, right? Leave, all right? But now, now there's a caveat to this, all right? This is why I keep going over because none of this is in my notes. I just have fun. All right, so here. But if someone says to you, so there's a time when you don't eat it, and here's why. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Now, that would be a weird dinner, dinner conversation. You got to admit, all right? Here, have a hamburger. We sacrifice it to Satan. Go. All right, all right, all right. So, <laughs> but who knows? It's Boulder. All right, so anyway, so. No one's disagreeing, all right? <laughs> this has been, so at dinner, this has been offered as a sacrifice. Then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for them, for the, for the sake of conscience. And I don't mean your conscience, his. For why should, here's the question, why should my freedom, my liberty, be determined by somebody else's conscience? Why should I not eat it? Why, why should I be restricted by, by that other person? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So again, please hear this, all right? I'll explain all that. Meat is neutral. Oh, yeah. Meat is not intrinsically good or bad. Wine is not intrinsically good or bad. Beer is not intrinsically good or bad. Unless we're dealing with addiction and things like that, all right? But it's just, it's just there. It's not good or, or bad. Now, if someone offers you something to eat and they're using that somehow to promote something that contradicts the sacrifice of Jesus and for you to participate in that would, would be you agreeing that Jesus is not the way his sacrifice is not enough, then don't eat that meat or drink that wine or whatever, not because it's bad, but because you're sending a mixed signal. Now, now listen, all my life, I've read that all my life. This is part of the Bible I read and went, I, I don't know. And then you just keep on reading until something makes sense, all right? This would be one of those paragraphs. It finally made sense about 20 years ago. I was in, in Africa, in Kenya. I took, I took a whole bunch of people with me. Jesse was like a ninth grader, our West Campus pastor, right? And we lived with the Maasai like for three weeks out there. And at the end of that, we had this big ceremony. And it's a ceremony with dancing and all, all this kind of stuff, right? We butchered a cow, which in Maasai land is a big, big, big deal. Now, I'm going to talk about butchering a cow. So if this offends you, go get some coffee or go la, 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 because it's awesome, all right? So the way that uh, the Maasai kill their cows, which is the most precious thing to them, is they take a little knife and they stick it in the back of their head and they go, all right? And the brain steads, and it lights out. It is literally moo. It's just done, all right? And, and, and they, they don't make a noise. But the, the, the thing is that they're on the ground and their hearts keep beating. And what the Maasai do, because they, they want to honor this cow so much, they don't waste anything. They literally suck the marrow out of the bones. They don't waste a, a, anything, all right? But they slit the, the, the skin. They pull it back. They cut that artery. It fills up with blood. And then all the warriors come and they drink the blood because they want to honor this cow. So it's, now it's my turn. And they, they look at me and go, Pastor Jim. And I'm like, when in Africa, here we go, and I, boom, I am, I am going in. And the missionary goes, whoa, whoa, whoa no, don't, don't drink the blood. I'm like, why, why, why not? He goes, because it's confusing. 
See, there's another cult right down the road, and they're kind of at war with this, this, these Christians. And for you to engage in that, it would be confusing. So I said, okay, on, 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 a, on kind of consideration of them, I'm going to give up my right. I have a right to drink blood if I want. It's just blood. It's just meat. Right? You can do anything you want. But because of somebody else's greater need, I, I gave up my right. Look at this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so that covers everything, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? That they may be saved. And there it is. Two things I do. I use everything I do, everything I have. I'm going to leverage all that I have, whether it has to do with God or not. I'm going to leverage everything I have to point people towards Jesus. And the second part is whether I like it or not whether it's comfortable for me, whether it's to my own advantage, my own personal taste, everything I do is going to be leveraged for somebody else so that someday they might be saved. Now, listen, some of you are sitting there going, okay, well, I, don't under, I don't understand how this applies to us. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago. People don't do that anymore. Most of us, Christian or not, would not get hung up on, so where did you buy your hamburger? All right, none of us really, that's a big deal to us. So let's use meat as a metaphor, all right? And let, let's take the word meat out and substitute in any methodology that you personally have concluded Christians should do that or shouldn't do that or church should be like that or that should never happen in church. You don't have a Bible verse to back it up. You just believe for some reason that your opinion is the right one and the church should do that. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. All right? So that's the metaphor for meat. And there's a list of things that are coming to mind right now about what you think is right or good for church. Top of the list, music styles, music volume, certain artists, you should use those artists, you should never use those artists, or those kind of songs, whatever. What kind of lighting should we use? What kind of instruments should we use? What, should we use instruments at all? Should we sit down for this part? Stand up for this part? Should we kneel down? Should we do the hokey pokey? What should we do? Why aren't there crosses on the roof of our building? Why aren't there pictures of Jesus on every wall? Why aren't there statues of dead people everywhere? What's the appropriate clothing to wear to church? What, are Christians allowed to have tattoos? We can go on all day. What's, what, what are you supposed to do at church? If you want to polarize a church, split it in half, the easiest way to do it historically is not over fights over what Jesus said was or wasn't true, but over the methods that a church chooses to use to present what Jesus said was true and connect that to a person's life. And the Bible has nothing to say about here's the right way to do a church service. The closest we get is whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God so that people could be saved and what Jesus had in mind and what Paul underlined was this. There are no rules or laws for how to do church. There are traditions. We've done it that way for 100 years, but those are not the same thing as rules. And as long as it's not promoting sin and contradicting the blood of Christ, use it, leverage it. Whether the singer or the writer or the philosopher, or the artist or the butcher had Jesus in mind when they put it together. Redeem it for Jesus. Connect the truth of Jesus with the lives that people are looking for truth. You might not like it. It might not be the, the method you prefer. It may not be the genre of music that you like. It may be too loud for you. It may not be loud enough for you. It might be very different than your old church. It might be very different than what you're used to, but don't call it wrong simply because you don't like it. Do you know who I've found to be the most critical people on the planet? Christians. Christians who have isolated themselves from anybody who isn't already a Christian or who believes anything different than they do. I've surrounded myself with people who already believe in Jesus and, and believe everything that I do, and I'm very, very, very comfortable. Do you know what will change that for you? One day when your 25-year-old son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter is far from home and far from God and their life is in a pig pen somewhere, just like that prodigal son story. Or, or you know what change it for you when your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your friend from work or school, after you've asked about a thousand times, they say, okay, I'll go to church for you with you one time. 
I'll tell you, when that happens for you, the last thing on your mind is, when I go to church today, I hope I like the music. You don't care anymore. I hope the volume doesn't hurt my ears. I hope the lights and the message is good for me. All you're hoping from the time you pick them up or they, they pick you up, I hope we make it through traffic because I know if it's bad, we're going to circle the lot one time and he's going to say, I'm, I'm done, all right? He has custody of his daughter this weekend, so I hope kids' ministry checking goes the right way. And sometime during their service, you're not even going to listen to what Scott or I have to say that day. You're hoping he'll look over at you and give you the look that says, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad. This is good. This helps. And what you're really, really, really praying for is that on the car ride home, they'll look over you and go, could, could, I, could I go back with you again? See, if you have someone that you, that you care about and you have them with you, all you care about and the only reason that you would bring them here is because you believe that we will keep our value, our promise, that we will create the most excellent environment we can in order for the person that you love to bump into Jesus. Now, hear this, and I'm, 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 I'm going to go a couple minutes late, but pray through that. Now, here's the other thing you should know. And again, if you've been around Flatirons for more than a month or so, you've figured this out. All churches on the whole planet have the same commission. Go to the ends of the world and tell people about Jesus. Teach them about Jesus, baptize in the name of Jesus, and then have them keep going to become more like the person Jesus is. That, that, that is the commission on every church on the planet. But some churches are wired or called to, to go to very, very specific areas or parts of the world. They're better at it. They have a passion for it. That doesn't mean the other parts aren't important. They're just really, really, really called to go to that part or that, that group of people. And at Flatirons, our mission is to take the awesome life of Christ to a lost and broken world. Let me define those terms. Lost. Lost from Jesus or lost in your marriage, lost in parenting, lost in life, lost you know, in salvation, but also just lost trying to figure out, or, or broken. All of us have things in our lives that are broken. They're not working the right way. We want to bring the awesome life of Christ to a lost and broken world. But in that, and again, all churches need to be doing that, but we, Flatters, we have a passion. I have a passion. Scott does. The leadership of this place, a lot of you do. We have a passion to see the hearts of men, husbands, and fathers turn and follow the Lord. Because here's what we've discovered. When men do that, not only do their lives get better, but most of the problems of the world that fall on women and children are caused by men. When men pull their heads out of the rear in the name of Jesus, the world gets better. That should be honest. T-shirt, I would buy that, all right? Now, again, ladies, I'm not saying that you're not important. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I, I think Jesus loves you, so he's trying to get men to stop hurting you, all right? But there, there are churches all over the world. There are churches in Denver. There are churches within just at blocks of this place where a woman, any woman could walk into that church and feel pretty comfortable. Most churches that I've been a part of most of my life, when you walk in the front door of the church, it feels like you're walking into the women's section of a department store. Uh, all right, and, uh, and the unspoken message to men, I don't think churches mean it, but this is what we think when we walk in the door. If you want to follow Jesus, check your manhood at the door, dumb down your masculinity or leave it in the truck and surrender your testicles if you love Jesus. And at Flatirons, we are trying to see a generation of strong warrior men who will finally stand up and provide and protect their families because it's about time. We're going to do that. Right? Ooh. I love that part. I don't care if I'm long. All right, so that... The other area of passage, okay, so all, all you old people like me, you're, gonna, you're not going to like this part, okay? So just take a breath. The other area of passion that we have here at Flatirons is the next generation of believers and leaders. See, most people who become Christians do so before they, before they get out of high school. And most of the biggest, most important decisions that a person makes, and if they get it wrong, their whole life is filled with regrets from those decisions. Those, those decisions happen in their 20s. They do. So we will always be trying to speak into the next generation rather than trying to keep the saved 54-year-olds like me happy. And most churches want to keep people like me happy because we have the experience and the clout and the money. 
We do, all right? It's not about keeping saved 54-year-olds happy and catered to. It's about setting the table for spiritually hungry 24-year-olds so they can bump into the grace and mercy of Jesus. So when it comes to styles and methodology, we will usually default in their direction for their benefit, for the building up of others. And we'll do use everything we can to make the most excellent environment possible. And if you don't like that, then you're not gonna like it because we're gonna keep on doing that. Now, Here's what that looks like. I'm gonna give you an example in, in kind of real time, all right? So this past Tuesday, I was at, I was at Lifetime Fitness and I'd, I'd done my workout. I was in the locker, I, my clothes on, I was getting ready to walk out and my friend Dave walks around the corner. And he's like, he wants to talk and he, he went to Crucible, a different one than I went to. And so we were talking about some of that and then he got really, really quiet and he said, I'm, I'm going, man, I'm, honestly, I'm just mad at God right now. I said, we'll, we'll talk about it, all right? And, and so here's what he, he said. So I had some things happen in my life in the last couple of weeks. The last several years have been a disaster, and I thought Crucible was going to help, but it's just, it's just as bad. He said, I found this videotape. I was in my basement the other day. I found this videotape. And on the, on the corner of it, it's one of those VHS with the, the masking tape peeling off that we all have in our basement, right? It said, Dave's first steps. And he, so he put it in the VCR, and he played it. And it was him when he was about one year old. He's leaning against the kitchen cabinets, and his dad is out in front of him going, come on, come on, take that step. And Dave's leaning against that cabinet, and he's crying. And they said, that's how I feel with God right now. See, I, I know. I know what God's telling me to do. I, I know he's right in front of me. I know what he's promising. I know he's telling me to do something. I don't trust him. I, I, I know if I follow him, if I take that step, I, I know he's telling me to take. I, I don't think he'll take care of me. In the past, it doesn't feel like he's taking care of me. So I, 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 I don't trust God. All right. Now, on, on, earlier, on, on the way to the gym that morning, I, I had the radio on my truck and on a country station because I'm a Christian. And, and, and this, <laughs> this uh, that's for my son. All right, so anyway, that. But this old Rascal Flat song came on. And I, I, I know most of, of their songs. I, I hadn't heard this one. And I really like it. So I tagged it, got to the gym. I bought it on iTunes. And then I played it several times uh, during my workout. After talking to Dave, I walked back to my truck and started my truck. And the song came on. I'm like, oh, uh, I should have given this song to, to Dave because this is exactly what he was talking about because I'm not sure what the band was thinking when they wrote or sang that song. I'm not sure if it was a man singing to a woman or a man singing to his best friend or a man singing to his child. But when I heard it, it was God singing to Dave. So we're going to leverage, this is what it looks like. We're going to leverage this song I heard on the radio a song that doesn't mention Jesus by name even one time. It's not a church song. It's in no hymnal in the world. And the reason we're going to sing it is that maybe Dave or anybody here who needs to take a step in a new direction, but you're not sure you can trust Jesus, we're going to use a non-Christian song to connect the dots so you can know that God will never let you go. So I, I just dare anybody to come and tell me that song's not about Jesus, right? Because that's the 23rd Psalm right there. And here's the thing, right? As you listen to the words of that song, you can't listen to those words without thinking about a scenario where that, that song change, could change everything. Because we all have people in our life. Do, do you have people in your life that, that you've held and thought, ah, they made it another day? Sat by the bedside of your parents as they're dying or, or your child as they try to take their own life and you just, I just, could just rest. You need that. It connects the dots of life. Hey, next week, we're going to wrap up this series, all right? And I'll, spoiler alert, it's come and see. It's also baptism weekend, all right? Baptism is that, that, 
It's Jesus' idea that says that when you have made a decision in your own life, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He lives inside of me. There's an outward demonstration of that that doesn't save you. It's just an outward demonstration that you are saved called baptism. That next weekend is the perfect opportunity for you to go, just come and see me get baptized. Just come and see. Just come and taste. I'm going to make you a promise. If you'll bring your friends next week, we will set a table and Jesus will taste so good. I promise. We'll do our best to, 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 to have your friend that, that you wish were here right now so they could have heard that song. Taste, taste how good Jesus is. All right, so I'm, I'm done. Uh, let's stand up. I'm gonna pray. And at the end of the, we're not gonna sing again. Some of you are gonna confuse. You're gonna stare like, are we, can we go? Yes, all right. Um, I'm gonna pray. <laughs> and then, and then you're dis, dismissed, all right. So God, just in the silence of this room and the tears in the eyes that, that I just, I can see and the heads that are nodding right now. Some of us, you just, you just put our hearts back together and gave us goodness and mercy by reminding us that we're not alone. And God, our hearts ache because there's some people in our life that we love very, very, very much. If they just had a taste of Jesus, real Jesus, not this Jesus has been shoved down their throats all their life, but good Jesus, loving, kind, faithful Jesus. I know, I know it would change their hearts forever. And so God, will you create opportunities this week that we can walk across a room, a classroom, an office, a driveway, a backyard and say, just come and see. Just come and see me get baptized and come and see my friend get baptized. And God, I bet that, I bet some of those people will come and see you, meet you, and they'll be baptized. They didn't see it coming, but you do because you're God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.